listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. Hey, y'all. February is Heart Awareness Month, and I am going to be sharing with you some really cool tips today, actually. This coming Friday, Valentine's Day, I'm going to be speaking to a group of nursing students, and my goal with them is to get them to understand when they need to raise the cardiology flag. And what I mean by that is when they need to be concerned for a heart and vascular problem. Um, I've been working a lot. Uh, I, I was on call this weekend, which is why This episode is going to be a straight one through, boom, one take. We're not editing a whole bunch of stuff out. I'm just going to talk to y'all as if we were sitting together over tea. Uh, Slow it down so that you listeners can know when to raise the cardiology flag for your patients and when to raise it for yourself. There are risk factors for cardiovascular events, and these are things that increase your risk of having a heart problem. Now, this is super important because if you have chest pain and you're 22 years old and you exercise and you don't smoke and you eat your vegetables, you don't have a family history of early heart disease, it's probably not your heart. The chances of you actually having a heart condition are slim. If you are... 72, have smoked for 50 years, don't do much besides sit in your chair, and maybe one of your parents had a heart attack and some stents, if you develop chest pain, your chances of actually having a heart problem are a lot worse than somebody who doesn't have those risks. So let's go over the risk first, okay? There are uh, major risk factors, modifiable risk factors, and contributing risk factors, okay? So major risk factors that you can't change is getting older, being a male. You can't change your genes. Um, If your parents had early heart disease or if you have... a a racial or ethnic predisposition to heart disease. Um, Those are risk factors that you can't control, okay? So we have to do our best with the things that we can control or modify, like smoking. Um, The risk that smokers will develop heart disease is much higher than non-smokers. High cholesterol. You know, if you have high cholesterol, your chances of having... Uh, heart disease are higher. We look at total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, or the low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, which is the bad kind. We want that number to be low. The high-density lipoprotein, or HDL cholesterol, is the good cholesterol, and we want it to be high. I think of them as lethal and healthy, and that's how you remember which one is which. Um, And triglycerides. Triglycerides are the most common fat in type of fat in the body, um, and the triglyceride level ranges, but um, alcohol 
and a poor diet will drive that number up for sure. Having high blood pressure increases your risk for heart disease. Um, remember that threshold changed with the new hypertension guidelines that came out in 2017. We used to say greater than 140 over 90 was high blood pressure. Now it's 130 over 80 if you have an increased risk. And that change alone, just 10 points on systolic and diastolic top number and bottom number, made 40 to 50% of the population of the United States hypertensive. So if there's a risk factor that you're not aware of, um, high blood pressure might be it. There's not any symptoms for high blood pressure. It's something you just have to take and know. If you're physically inactive, that increases your risk of having heart disease. So you want to get up, move it, shake it, dance. Um, because being sedentary definitely increases your risk. Obesity increases your risk. And I used to have a gripe about that because, you know, I'm black and we have more dense uh, muscle mass. And so muscle weighs more than fat. So we tend to be heavier than our white counterparts, even if we look um, the same size, you know, eyeballing it. I used to think, dang, that's not fair. We're not getting judged fairly. But you know what, guys? Being black, we have an increased risk for heart disease. So we might as well just take that number and count it for what it is. Um, having diabetes increases your risk for heart disease. Symptoms of diabetes are increased thirst, going pee a lot, being fatigued. Um, you can go to no diabetes by heart and read more about the interaction between diabetes and heart disease. Um, people who have diabetes are two times as likely to develop heart disease. The gold standard test is the hemoglobin A1C, also known as an A1C or um, glycosylated hemoglobin. Your primary care provider can order that test um, and you can just know whether or not you're diabetic. Other risk factors that contribute to heart disease, and you guys can decide for yourselves whether these are modifiable or not modifiable. Stress, more and more, I feel like stress is non-modifiable, um, but for me personally, I just have to incorporate relaxation practices like yoga and meditation because stress is kind of a fact of life, but we have to know how to um, de-stress, how to unwind, and even how to do that in the moment, in a moment's notice. Alcohol increases your risk factor for heart disease because it raises your blood pressure. Um, it makes your heart pump less effectively. Your diet. Diet is one of those things that, again, for reasons of social justice and food access, I wonder sometimes if it's truly a modifiable risk factor. But we'll do the best with what we have. All right, so now that we know what the risk factors are, let's talk about symptoms, okay? And when I think about symptoms of heart issues, I kind of have to break them down in the four ways that I look at the heart. I look at the electricity, I look at the structure, I look at the pump, and I look at the plumbing. 
Okay, so for electricity, um, when we talk about electricity in the heart, we're talking about the rhythm of the heart. Let's get the rhythm of the heart. And the rhythm of the heart can be fast, it can be slow, it can be regular, it can be irregular. And there are symptoms with all of those things, okay? A slow heart, we call that bradycardia. And people will often feel tired, they'll feel weak. Uh, People whose hearts beat way too slow will sometimes pass out, which is interesting because people whose hearts beat way too fast will sometimes pass out. Um, Other things that people with fast hearts will feel are palpitations, like fluttering in the chest, or um, just when they exert themselves, they get really tired really fast. Um, And they often, you know, will have symptoms like breaking into a sweat or or things like that. People with irregular heart rates sometimes will, or I'm sorry, irregular heart rhythms will sometimes feel palpitations as well. Um, Sometimes an irregular heart rhythm is something called atrial fibrillation, which can put you at risk for having a stroke. Uh, So what you really want to, to do is to know whether your heart is regular or irregular and then whether it's fast or, or slow. If you want to take your pulse just to see, you can take your first two fingers on your non-dominant hand, or on your dominant hand, it doesn't matter, and just trace your thumb until you get to your wrist. And when you get to your wrist, feel, don't press too hard, press lightly, and, and see if you can feel your heartbeat. And then once you feel it, you want to note, is it, is it soft? Is it um, hard? And, you know, is it really pumping or is it kind of, kind of faint? And then is it fast? Is it slow? Can you predict the next beat? Is it regular or is it not regular? Um, and, and you can do that looking at a clock and, you know, count the number of heartbeats you have until you know, the the second hand goes all the way around the clock. The normal number of heartbeats is 60 to 100 beats per minute. Athletes, people who um, have really well-conditioned hearts, it's not uncommon for them to have heart rates less than 60, and it's not uncommon for people who are very sedentary to have heart heart rates that are on the higher end, closer to 100. Um, But if you always have a heart rate that's over 100 and you feel some of those symptoms I was talking about, um, fatigue, um, sweats, palpitations, you should certainly get that checked out. Okay, so that's a super uh, simplified (laughs) version of electrical problems in the heart. Um, Some of the causes of electrical problems include Poor nutrition, you know, people who drink a lot sometimes will have low potassium, low magnesium, you know, their electrolytes are all messed up, and um, they can get a bad heart rhythm from that. Um, Other things that affect heart rhythm, you know, caffeine is one of those things that's just not, let me put it to you this way, there's not enough research about caffeine (laughs) for me to have given up my coffee. I tried, and I did for a long time, but, um, you know... I I still indulge from time to time, especially when I'm working like this. Uh, Let's see. Hereditary, 
there, there's all kinds of things that can, it can inherit like Wolf Parkinson White or WPW syndrome, um, where you, your heart has a, a, a little, uh, slip track, a side track, a shortcut, and it, and it sometimes takes a shortcut and gets out of control. Um, so the next is like the structures. And when I talk about structures, I'm thinking mainly valves. Um, if you ha you can have enlarged chambers, um, and you can also have, you know, thickened myocardium, but I, I don't want to go that deep for the purpose of this episode and, and for the students that I'll be talking to, because there's no way for y'all to know that unless you were to have an echocardiogram. And most of the time, you're not going to be looking at an echocardiogram if you're having a symptom or your patient's having a symptom. You just have to act on what you um, can see objectively and what they tell you, you know, subjectively. So when it comes to the valves, there are a few things that people with valve problems will often complain about. And shortness of breath is at the top of the list. Um, when they try to exert themselves, you know, go up a flight of stairs or, you know, do something that's considered, you know, exertional or exercising, um, they just can't get, they, they can't get their breath. Um, and that kind of overlaps with a pump problem um, because people whose pump doesn't work very well, um, they also will complain of shortness of breath. In addition to shortness of breath, folks with pump problems will um, get congested and like have a cough but no fever and they might get swelling in their legs uh, or in their belly and, and gain weight. I, I saw a guy last week and he was hardly eating anything, you guys, and he was so frustrated. He said, I've gained 30 pounds in two months. Um, and, and all the things that he told me let me know, yeah, he's, he's probably got heart failure. I will get an echocardiogram and check this out. But, you know, if, you, if you're somebody who does, like, gains that much weight in a short amount of time, that's actually something to get checked out um, because it's not normal to pack on uh, weight at, at that rapid of a rate. So if you're short of breath, coughing, gaining weight, noticing swelling in your legs or in your belly, um, feeling congested, a lot of these patients will complain of chest pressure. So not pain, They're like it's not pain, it's just like a, a pressure, you know, a heaviness. Um, those are symptoms that could be related to their heart. It gets tricky when people have asthma, when they have COPD, you know, when they have these other chronic conditions that can affect their breathing. A lot of times, you know, before they make it to cardiology, they'll be getting different inhalers or having different, um, you know, titrations of medication that they're already on. And by the time they get to us, it's kind of obvious. We're like, whoa, whoa, you know, we're definitely dealing with a pump issue um, or a valve issue. Having rheumatic fever as a child increases your risk of, uh, you know, having a valve problem. Another symptom that's kind of random and might not make you think about heart is passing out. Fainting, we call it syncope in cardiology. It could be caused from an electrical issue. It can be a valve issue. Um, 
it's definitely something that should warrant at least an EKG, at least an echocardiogram. You know, why is this person passing out? Okay, so let's talk about the heart plumbing. And this one's tough um, because the manifestation of a plumbing problem is so wildly varied. Uh, when I talk about a plumbing problem, I'm talking about your coronary arteries, the arteries that supply blood to the different sides of your heart, okay? Now, it's a special topic because <laughs> the pain that comes from the heart, we call that angina, and it's not as alarming as Hollywood has us thinking that it is. If you've seen anybody have a heart attack on a television show or in the movies, you know, they clutch their chest, they're all sweaty, and then they drop and they gurgle, and then their body goes limp. Um, there are so many times that people come in and they have an EKG, and I look at it and I go, oh, this person's had a heart attack, and they didn't even know it. You know, EKG can show an old MI, it can show an, an old heart attack that was never caught, that nobody ever worked up, because the symptoms, you guys, can be that subtle. There's definitely the upper chest pain symptom. Um, you can have pain that radiates to your neck or to your jaw, your shoulder blade, or radiates through to your back. Sometimes it radiates to the left jaw, left arm. Um, a lot of times people have this epigastric burning uh, a sensation and they just attribute it to heartburn, you know, reflux. Uh, a lot of times people will tell me, yeah, you know, I had tomato sauce with my dinner, so I didn't think anything of it, thought it was the old reflux. Um, and, and sometimes that's the case and sometimes that's not the case. Remember, the things that increase the risk of you actually having or your patient actually having a heart problem are those risk factors that I talked about in the beginning. Smoking, obesity, you know, being male, um, being black or, uh, you know, not having a good diet. Uh, so those are things that increase those risk factors and couple those factors with this kind of pain that we call angina, this pain that can... I'll put pictures on my Instagram because it's really hard to explain, but it's much easier when you can actually see it. Um, but yeah, that can be indicative of a plumbing problem. So what do you do? You come in and we can do an EKG and get some blood. And when we draw that blood, we're looking for um, biological markers of stress on your heart. And I don't want to get too complicated, but basically an EKG and a blood draw are the first things that we do to see if we need to ring, ring the alarm and or not, okay? Um, another test that we do that looks at the electricity of the heart, it looks at the function of the pump, it looks at your exercise capacity. We get so much information from a stress test. I love stress tests. I do them uh, multiple times a week, you know, a couple days a week. I'm in the stress lab. And we have patients come in, and they usually come in with, you know, these complaints that may or may not be cardiac complaints, chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, um, 
and we put them on a treadmill. We put an EKG on them, so we put stickers and wires all over them so that we can see the electricity of their heart while they're exercising. Then we put them on a treadmill, and we have them walk at an incline, and we know right away whether they exercise or don't exercise. Because I'm telling you, people who don't move their body, people who don't do cardiovascular exercise, get their heart rate up, they do not do so good on this test. And it's kind of scary because it it increased their risk. Um, But people who do exercise, I love my little old walkers. I love my little 80-year-olds that are like, I walk two miles every day with my dog. Or with my friend, it's like, well, hey, you're adding years to your life because they get on that treadmill and they just go, 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 go. Sometimes we even have to stop them. We're like, okay, we got everything we need for this test, you know. Um, But people who get on the treadmill and, you know, the incline comes and it gets steeper and faster every three minutes, they don't, the ones that don't do good, have a much higher risk of actually having an issue with their heart. So a stress test is another test. Um, Did I talk about EKG? EKG is just the stickers and wires that they put on your chest to see the electrical conduction of your heart. None of these are invasive. The EKG is not invasive. The stress test is not invasive. Depending on what kind of stress test that you have, though, you might have to get an IV. Because there's a a treadmill test that doesn't involve a nuclear isotope, and there's one that does. And the one that does, they have to put an IV in your arm so they can, you know, inject the radioisotope um, at peak exercise. And then they have you lay on a table and and go under a camera to look at your heart and how well um, it's being perfused at stress and at rest. So that's one test that I just love because we get so much information. There's also an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. And that test, you literally just lay there. You lay on on your side and they put gel on your skin and, and do an ultrasound of your heart. Mamas, if you've had a baby, you've had this done on your belly. Um, but this is the same kind of idea, but for the heart. There is a test that we call a stress echocardiogram where we have you walk on the treadmill and go steeper and faster every three minutes and then stop abruptly and do the um, ultrasound of your heart. And patients don't love that. It's not fun. Who stops their exercise abruptly from from peak exercise to nothing? But if your symptoms come on when you exert yourself, it makes sense for us to look at your heart after you've been exerting yourself. Um, so that's a stress echo. Both a stress test, uh, uh, the treadmill stress test, um, or the treadmill stress echo, there is a version of those tests where you don't have to get on the treadmill. They give you medication that stresses your heart, and they can get the same kind of images um, from, from artificial stress. Exercise in a syringe. If it were up to me, I would always do the treadmill. Um, it just, people get so uncomfortable. The medicine works really fast and people are like, oh, I don't like this feeling. It's natural to feel your heart rate pick up and pump hard when you're working out, but when you're just laying in a bed, um, it's not natural to feel that. And so people don't tend to love that test. 
Now, let's get into some more invasive tests. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I feel like I'm all over the place and I apologize. A heart monitor is one of the tests that we can do a Holter monitor or a sticker that you wear for a couple weeks up to a month is as little as one day and all the way up to a month to look at the electricity in your heart. Um, if they're just longer tests to help catch the problem when it's happening. Have you guys ever like had an issue and then by the time you get to the clinic, it's completely gone? I think that happens to everybody. And it's not uncommon in cardiology either. So um, the, the monitor that looks at your heart's electricity, we send people home with those for days uh, on end because hopefully they have their symptoms when they're not right in front of us. Then we get that report and we can see what was going on, if anything was going on. All right, invasive tests include things like a coronary angiogram. So say you do your stress test and it doesn't look so hot. Or you come in hot. You come into the ER, your biomarkers, your labs are like, woo, woo, woo. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, we've got to get them to the cath lab. A heart cath, or also known as a cardiac catheterization or coronary angiogram, is when they bring you in and they uh, poke you in the groin or in the wrist and fish a catheter up to your heart, inject some dye, and see how well the blood flows. If it gets stuck in a certain spot, they know you have a blockage, and they can go in and open that blockage up. Um, there is medication that you need to take after you have a procedure like that. Uh, if you have a blockage and they have to put in a stent, there's usually some kind of antiplatelet medication that they give you uh, to take for six months or a year. And that's very important that you actually take that um, because it, it makes the platelets slippery and, and they slide past each other rather than being sticky and aggregating and clotting off your stent. They're just trying to do their job in the ecosystem. The stent is a foreign body and they will take care of it if you don't take the medication. Um, cardiac cath is a really great test for looking at blood flow to the heart. Um, it's really uh, highly specific, whereas a stress test can sometimes, you know, not be as specific depending on um, what's going on with the patient, their body habitus, you know, how big they are and how good of images they get. Heart cath, pretty dang specific. They run into a blockage, you got a blockage. <laughs> The invasive test for an electrical issue is called an EP study or an electrophysiology study. And in this case, they fish a catheter through the vein um, in your groin, the, the femoral vein, and go up and they try to tickle the heart and, and get it to, um, you know, show what is happening when you're having a bad rhythm so that they can ablate it. They can take care of, of the issue. My mouth is so dry, y'all. And I think it's because I've been talking so much for so long. So why don't we recap and wrap this thing up, okay? All I want you to do is take good care of your heart. Yeah, 
folks might not know about the good old Whitney Houston songs, but um, that's one that I always think of when I'm talking about cardiology. That and Billy Ray Cyrus, don't break your heart, your achy, breaky heart, uh, which is not the words to either one of them, but whatever. I think I'm tired. I think, I think I'm tired because I'm getting goofy. Yeah, so let's wrap it up. In closing, when you want to determine whether you, your family member, or your patient is having a cardiovascular event, you first want to look at their cardiac risk factors. You next want to look at the symptoms that they're having and whether or not there are symptoms that could be indicative of a heart issue. Typical symptoms, again, shortness of breath that gets worse with exertion, chest pain, pressure, tightness, dizziness, lightheadedness, nausea, breaking into a sweat, getting pale, or just profoundly fatigued. Um, also passing out. So you want to look at those symptoms and go, wait a second, this person has a lot of cardiac risk factors and these symptoms we need to raise the cardiology flag here, ring the alarm, get some cardiac eyes on the situation. And also kind of went through some of the very uh, typical cardiac tests, the electrocardiogram, the echocardiogram, the uh, stress testing, coronary angiography, and electrophysiology studies. Now, guys, there's so much more. But I really wanted to just give you an overview in ways that I think can be helpful for you uh, right now. I could talk about cardiology all day long, but who wants to listen to that? Let's just keep it simple, break it down to bite-sized pieces. And hey, if you do want to go deeper, if you have specific questions about the cardiovascular system, about symptoms, about you know patient care, when to call who or what, um, Meet me in the comments. I'm going to put some of this uh, on my Instagram. I'll put it on Twitter. I'll put it on Facebook. You know it's going to be on YouTube. And you can leave a comment and say, hey, you know, can you cover this? Or can you dive a little deeper into that? I'm also going to put some resources in the show notes that I want you to actually look at because you can really, really learn more about how to keep a look out for yourself and for your loved ones who have some of these increased risk factors. It's February, it's Heart Awareness Month, and I was the guest today. Your cardiology MP, D the MP, is where I'm at in these E streets. And um, I'm looking forward to talking with you guys more in the weeks to come about heart disease. But until then, eat fresh and dance. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work. 